Hello there. Welcome to my podcast, Princess and the Pea Survivor Edition, where we talk about healing from trauma, life's sometimes seemingly impossible tests, and how these ongoing tests impact our relationships with others as well as the one we have with ourselves. Thanks for being here. My name is Faith Christine Bergevin. You can call me Faith. Something went bump in the night recently. Or it was just that my doorbell rang. Listen to hear my terrifying experience and what it taught me about healing from trauma and where I am in my journey of recovery from PTSD. I wonder if you've had a similar occurrence in your life. A doorbell rings at 3 a.m., and it's not the pizza guy. My terrifying experience and the truth about PTSD. The doorbell rings. Am I dreaming? It rings again and again, again. No longer do I believe it's a creation of my brain from dreamland. It is happening. I emerge from deep slumber with a jolt and look at my phone. 3 a.m. Panic. Who is at my door, ringing the bell in the middle of the night? I can't see. Yes, it's dark, but even as my eyes adjust to the low-level light, they also narrow in focus, blocking out almost everything. I can't actually see anything except the one thing in front of me. The floor. I find myself standing on. I clutch my phone. With the room foggy and me unable to clear my blurry eyes, I am too scared to go to the door, to look through the peephole. I stay near my room even as whoever is there continues to ring the doorbell. I await his next move. Because of course it's a he. The jangling of the doorknob, the nondescript sounds coming from the porch, waiting for him to try to push his way in. Does he have a crowbar? Will he be able to force his way in? Flashback to many years ago at our first house in Fernwood, when the drug-addled man tried to break into our house as I held on to my toddler. Or did he find me? Still blurry-eyed, I try to call 911. Nothing happens. My heart is racing. The the screen says, no network connection. Why is my phone not working? Oh, airplane mode. Swipe up, click plane button. I use my fingerprint to unlock the phone. It doesn't work. I'm shaking. Try again, says my phone. Then enter passcode. Your passcode is required to enable touch ID. What the hell is my passcode? I pace the hallway outside my bedroom. The doorbell is still ringing. I don't go to the front door to check because at this late hour, it can only be something bad. I know it's something bad. I tremble as I type my passcode, then type the numbers we all know. 911, what's your emergency? A voice says on my phone. Fire or police? Police. From what area? I tell her. One moment, please. I wait. Hello, 911, how can I help? My words stumble out to the operator that someone won't stop ringing my bell at my front door. I'm terrified. 
do you live with anyone? No, no, I, I'm alone, I reply shakily. I mean, my daughter is sometimes with me, but she's not tonight. What's your address? I tell her. She goes silent a moment and asks again if there's anyone there. No, I say, I'm alone. At this point, I finally look out the front window, the window of my living room door, of my living room. Finally, by talking to someone, someone there for me, someone trained to help me, I have the courage to look, to open my eyes, and I see what I couldn't see before. There's a police car outside, I say. I see police. What's your address? She asks again. My mind, beginning to come online again, beginning to be able to think again, wonders why she's asked twice where I live. Are you sure there's not anyone there? The operator says. Why are the police here? I blurt out. I think it was the police knocking on my front door. I think it was them that was ringing my bell. Can you open the door for them? She asks. What is happening? I say. Can you open the door for them? She repeats. I look out my living room window. They've moved out onto the street and they're with someone, I say. What's going on? Are you sure you live alone? She asks again. Yes, I do, I say. I'm in a house, but there is a downstairs neighbor. What's his name? I tell her. The police are there assisting someone at that address, the operator says. I look outside and two police officers are standing with a man who I assume is my neighbor. Do I need to open my door now since they've moved away? No, the operator says. I'm sorry to have woken and disturbed you. They are handling it. I watch the goings on outside, the two police officers by the car and the man. It doesn't appear that there's anything bad going on. It seems that they are just talking. I describe what I see next to the operator still with me. The police are getting in their car and driving away. I'm sorry again, she says. I hope you're able to get back to sleep. I hang up. I'm still shaking. Yet I feel a little silly suddenly. Even so, with my heart racing and the adrenaline pumping through my blood, I know there's no way I'm going to fall asleep. So I turn on my phone, check Instagram, and zone out. It's the only thing I know to calm down at this point. What else can I do? A few days later, I tell this story several times to various friends. Talking about it seems to help me process it. Recently, at a party, I related it to an acquaintance. At 3 a.m., she says, I would have expected a pizza delivery guy going to the wrong address, not assumed the worst. I tell her about the attempted break-in years ago, but only that. Something must have affected you, she says, that previous traumatic event years ago to make your mind go there. Yes, I say. Lucky for her, she doesn't seem to know what else there can be in my history that can make me react in such a way. The truth about living with PTSD. Living with PTSD means we can be triggered at any time, totally out of the blue. And the fact I was sleeping means I was in my most vulnerable state. In sleep, 
We cannot defend ourselves, which is why those with PTSD often have sleep issues. Being woken up this way can easily trigger us, making us respond from a place of fight and flight because we are immediately in survivor mode. When that doorbell first rang, I initially assumed I was dreaming. I've had dreams before where it sounds like there are three knocks in a row on a door and I get up and I look around and there's nothing there, no one on the front porch or anywhere. It's odd and so I know that I have had nocturnal sounds that were not connected to reality. I'm accustomed to this happening at times, but this, this was real. I still recall the glimpse of the man who turned out to be a police officer in the window of my front door because I must have peeked at some point. I still remember the terror I felt because I didn't know who it was, who was there and what was going to happen. I still remember the horror, that, that gross feeling in my gut emerging when I realized it wasn't a dream. And then I began to anticipate someone trying to force their way in, even though I know I have a robust steel door and a deadbolt. I still recall the feelings I had many, many years ago as I heard that drugged out man yelling to let him in as, I, as he tried to open our front door all those years ago. These memories are now linked together, even though they're about 16 years apart in their event timelines. The reality. Even though I live in a safe family neighborhood, being awoken suddenly in the middle of the night is a trigger. I do not assume a pizza guy. I assume the worst. My body is primed for this. My amygdala takes me places that my logical mind is too slow to catch up on. PTSD is something that we manage. How can I possibly intellectualize a normal response when I'm asleep? How can I rationalize multiple doorbell rings at 3 a.m. when I'm alone? It's not reasonable. PTSD comes and goes for those of us who have suffered trauma, especially multiple traumas. Plus, I work in a field where I hear about the atrocities of mankind firsthand on a regular basis. These are not stories from some faraway land. These are stories that happen to people I know. So I am very well aware of what can happen on any given day to any given person. How can I make feelings go away that are designed to protect me and designed to go, to make my system go into fight or flight mode in an instant? My body is primed to respond in survival mode. I recall pacing my bedroom as I talked to the 911 operator. I didn't sit still. I mobilized. In a trauma event or trigger, you want to keep moving. I know that as a therapist. I know that as a survivor. Even though this was not a full-blown emergency, I knew he hadn't broken down the door or anything. I didn't know it wouldn't happen, though. I called for help, even if a part of me felt embarrassed for bothering the operator. I knew I needed to call someone. In trauma, we need social support. We need to know someone is there. In my house, all alone that night, that person was the 911 operator. I could only begin to see once I was talking to her. 
that's when my eyes could be opened. I could actually look at the situation of what was actually happening as opposed to what was in my mind of what was happening. In the end, of course, nothing happened. But such as it is with PTSD sufferers, we know what bad can happen. We do. It is in our bodies. It is in our minds. It is in our spirits. We know. And all we can do is shake it off, get help when we can, and talk about it, or write about it, or speak about it, until it is gone from our system. Or until the next time. And so it ends. For today, I have five footnotes. The first one is defining post-traumatic stress disorder. I got this from the National Institute of Mental Health. You can find definitions in any place, but this is where I got mine for today. If you want to uh, have the link, feel free to go to my Substack publication. Uh, these footnotes are at the bottom of the essay. Post-traumatic stress disorder is a disorder that develops in some people who have experienced a shocking, scary, or dangerous event. So um, PTSD is a very complex response after someone who has suffered a traumatic event or a dangerous event or a shocking event, as they describe here. Um, it's too much to go into really in one essay, but suffice it to say that when you've experienced a shocking event, your body is primed to respond and sometimes responds in inappropriate or um, more extreme ways because of what a person has experienced before. Uh, my second footnote references sleep and PTSD. So um, the sleepfoundation.org uh, has an article on PTSD and sleep, and this is where I got my um, footnote from. Uh, this is what they say. PTSD and sleep have a complex relationship. Though sleep problems accompany many mental health conditions, sleep problems in PTSD are actually considered part of the disorder. Among the symptoms used to diagnose PTSD, two are directly related to sleep, hyperarousal and intrusion, which can manifest as insomnia and nightmares. Researchers are still trying to understand whether sleep problems precede PTSD or whether PTSD causes sleep problems." End quote. So I find this really interesting. So what happened to me is I was actually in sleep. I was in deep sleep. I was, I was probably having a dream. I don't know. But it took me a really long time to kind of get out of sleep and become awake. I remember that. I remember when I first heard the doorbell, it was kind of like this far away sound that was like, could have been in my dream. It could not have been. And so I kind of fell back asleep. I didn't fully um, ascend, you know, into wakefulness. And then when it rang a second time, I was kind of like, oh, wait, right? And then as I describe in the essay, I have had um, dreams before where I hear knocks on the door, like three knocks. That's happened to me twice. So, um, where I've had that, like the triple knock and then I get up and I'm like, is someone knocking on my door? And I've had to like look around and then realize, no, I'm alone and no one's here and everything's fine. So, you know, when the doorbell rang the second time, um, 
I was still not convinced that it was actual reality. I thought, okay, no, I must be dreaming. But then when it rang a third time, that's when I bolted straight out of bed. Um, and so I think it's really important to sort of notice that, you know, here in this footnote, we're talking about sleep and PTSD and, and kind of how PTSD impacts a person's sleep, particularly with um, two issues like hyper arousal and intrusion. So like this idea of being like on edge all the time, right? And so like I wasn't on edge, I was actually asleep. But then once I was awakened and some weird event was happening in my vicinity in the middle of the night when I was all alone, I became hyper aroused and had all these intrusive thoughts based on you know, things that had happened to me in my past, like the person trying to break in from years ago and, you know, other traumatic events that have happened to me. And so I wasn't able to really think clearly. Um, all I could think of is, oh my God, like something bad is going to happen. Like I didn't go to, oh, there's some, you know, some innocuous thing happening. So yeah, I think that's really interesting that, you know, there are studies being done about sleep and PTSD, but this was kind of flipped on its head now, wasn't it? I was already asleep, I was already in a peaceful state. And then, you know, having this kind of being woken up in the middle of the night jolted me and then put me full on into my PTSD response. Um, my third footnote talks, uh, references basically Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score. So again, I've mentioned this book a number of times because it really describes PTSD. It describes the trauma response. It describes developmental trauma. It describes what happens in the brain when trauma happens, um, which leads me into my next footnote, which is about blurred vision, right? And so that was an experience that I had. So my fourth footnote is, does anxiety cause blurred vision? And so I have an article here. Um, it's from, I don't know, it, it's, it does anxiety cause blurred vision. And it's from, what is this place? Brisbane bulk billing doctor. I don't know, it's some medical practice. And it talked about blurred vision, right? And, um, and stress and how anxiety can really affect our ability to see. And so uh, one of the things that happened is by me being under heightened stress, I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know who was there. I didn't know what was going to happen to me. My, my vision became highly focused and I was unable to see anything else. I wasn't able to really, even when I peeked out and, and could see someone standing on my front porch, like I couldn't reconcile what that actually meant um, in the moment because I was having that response. And finally, my fifth footnote is again, referencing the body keeps the score. So this is um, again, referencing how when you've had trauma, it's still in your body. Like we can do all the self care that we can, we can, you know, have therapy, we can, you know, um, do yoga and exercise and be strong. But ultimately when something jarring happens, when something surprising happens, when something not normal happens, you know, someone who with PTSD can, you know, have a heightened response. And that's unfortunately the way it is because the, the, our mind is, is ready to go into fight, flight or flop response and, and or freeze. Right. And me being a trauma therapist, me being a survivor, me knowing what it is to go into the freeze response and knowing that as 
a survivor, what I need to be doing is mobilizing. And so that's why I did not sit down. The whole phone call with the 911 operator, I was ready to go. I put my robe on and I was like, I'm getting out of here if I need to get out of here. And so that's something maybe you can keep in mind next time you have a, uh, if you can, right? Because let's just be really clear, when we do have a traumatic experience, the frontal lobe, sort of the, the neocortex, all of our thinking capacity, that actually shuts down. So. Um, it's really hard to engage that when we're having a trauma response, we're having a fear response. But for me, I think I had enough space to realize things weren't happening imminently. There wasn't someone breaking down my, my windows or anything like that. It was like, no, I'm calling 911. I'm doing this. I'm moving. I'm going to get help and I'm going to do it. Like I just, you know, kept remembering that. So yeah, um, that is my essay for today. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed this audio reading of my essay and the commentary and notes. Um, as you probably noticed, these are really impromptu and I can kind of go off on tangents. That's what I do um, because I have a lot of, you know, ideas and sometimes I'm talking about something and I go off on a tangent and anyway, anyways, I hope it's helpful for you. Um, I just wanted to let you know that coming soon, I will be offering comment and analysis for paid subscribers only to my Substack publication. Uh, Princess and the Peace Survivor Edition. Um, I don't make money from doing this <laughs> unless I get subscribers. So like Apple doesn't pay me, Spotify doesn't pay me, Substack doesn't pay me. So um, I would love it if you would be a, subscri a subscriber and support this work. If you'd you would like to learn more about my work, please visit my publication, Princess and the Peace Survivor Edition on Substack. Consider becoming a subscriber since this is a reader-supported podcast. A subscription will give you access to the latest articles on mental health and healing and how to deal with life's tests, and they will be delivered straight to your inbox. Your support means I can continue to research, write, and produce this work. Thank you so much for listening. Be well.